to listen to a conversation I had with Adam Jogan Salzberg. This is Jogan's second time coming on the podcast, um, and I'm really grateful that he shared his time again. When I first started this out, I really hoped that I could have kind of ongoing conversations with folks, and Jogan was definitely one of those people that I really wanted to touch back in with and explore different topics or ideas. And, you know, this time around, Jogan and I, we circle around masculinity, both toxic masculinity and more wholesome or positive expressions of the, for Jogan, the sort of archetypal masculine energies. That for him, they're not connected to gender. It's more these inherent qualities that we all seem to possess. And whether that's around boundaries or forcefulness or agency. And so we spend time with masculinity, both in ourselves and the culture. And yeah, and in a way, it's kind of hard to talk about masculinity. It's scary. It's such a charged topic in our culture. And we do our best to navigate that and to kind of honor both of our own journeys being male-bodied and what it means to kind of try to live a spiritual life, whatever that means, <laughs> a spiritual life, as men. And the conditioning we received and the ways it's impacted the ways we see women and also the challenges around inhabiting more kind of primitive or primal masculine impulses around anger or sexuality and how to really integrate those in more fully to who we are as people. So I really appreciate Jogan taking the risk to talk about masculinity. Um, so please do enjoy. Hey, Jogan. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming back. I really appreciate it. Um, hey, you're welcome. When I first started doing this, like having people back was actually the thing I was most excited about was kind of being able to deepen conversations or explore other areas. Yeah. And, and I know for you, you have uh, such a, like you have such a foundation in Zen, but then you have all these other areas of interest that you bring in the kind of the transformational mix that you create. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm excited today to get to talk like about masculinity and uh -huh. maybe some of the, the challenges within masculinity and maybe some of the more, whether you want to call it sacred or divine masculine. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But like before we start, you cool if we just take a little moment and kind of settle. Yeah. I, I can mm -hmm. relax on my anxiety. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, one place I thought it would be interesting to just start is a, a curiosity on my end for like what masculinity means to you, because it's such a, can be a broad word and has a lot of meaning right now. And I'm just wondering if you were to sort of hold it and kind of speak to the different things it might mean for you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just dive right into the so, yeah. Well, I mean, also to like set the set the foundation of it of like where we'll be going. You know, like yeah. what are we even talking about here? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. 
Well, when I think about it energetically, I think about certain ways of being. Hmm. I think of boundaries and I think of warriorship and I think of stability and I think of um, active energy. And then when I think about it, as far as is a person masculine or not, maybe I look for those qualities. There's also something ineffable to the point where I'm not often sure what we mean by the word masculine, apart from those more archetypal energetic, you know, modes. Yeah, even when you say that, you know, as someone that presents masculine, right, like being a man and uh, d does work with men around masculinity in therapy and other contexts, um, in the ways we're sort of conditioned and impacted. Like, I still don't quite know what it means either. And like, uh, and I don't even sometimes know if it's the right word, right? Like masculine, because it has such a charge, if you're going to look at sort of cultural conditioning versus biology, mm -hmm. and like what's going on in the culture around masculinity. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering for you, like if there's other words, sort of like, I know yin and yang sometimes, or other ways of containers beyond the gendered way that kind of... Mm -hmm. That that, that you Yeah, that express these sort of this essence or the sort of qualities that you're alluding to, whether that's the boundaries or the protective mm -hmm. impulse or the mm -hmm. pushing out that kind of can happen with a masculine sense. I don't think I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I find myself leaning on that word. Yeah. Like maybe that's why these words are still held, even yeah. though they are ch charged and kind of loaded that they do yeah. hold something important there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't have masculinity and gender and sex tied together in my mind mm. necessarily. Yeah, which often they get confused. But I do I think masculine is a useful reference the polarity of the masculine and the feminine. Yeah. And if we're speaking of the polarity here, how do you hold the feminine then if there's the masculine, as you sort of alluded to earlier, like, how do you see mm -hmm. the feminine in relationship? Receptivity is the first thing that comes to mind receptivity. Well, I, here's a further distinction that that again, I feel like dangerous going into this territory because someone's going to listen and go, Hey, that's not how I am. And I identify as you know, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is a thank you for just like naming that right now. We're like talking about something fairly charged right here. It's fairly charged. Yeah. And yeah. then also important enough, I think, to try to sit with both like a knowing these energies and also understanding the ways that they've maybe been distorted and kind of uh, take a really unhealthy expression, it seems, in our culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you were going to say something there before you kind of alluded to the fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would say one way I would d uh, describe masculine is agency and independence mm, mm -hmm. is a masculine quality and what i'm calling feminine is more relational and more receptive yeah yeah and you know sometimes you see that those who identify as women are more relationship focused and those who identify as men are more mission focused yeah like there is a, a grouping there but it, it isn't essential there can be a wide range of possibility within there yeah you know, and nature and nurture is a good question, whether this is just because men have historically been conditioned to be, you know, in our societies, the breadwinners up until just a couple generations ago, 
mm-hmm. and the women were tending to the family, that kind of stereotype, or is it an archetypal energetic thing that comes through people? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And like, how much does physiology play into that? And Absolutely. Like, I have no idea. And I'm not really interested in like uh, solving the question of nature or nurture personally. <laughs> Did you ever watch the NPR episode on testosterone? Yeah. Um, was that, I think it was like a radio lab, right? Or yeah. 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 I remember that where the guy had a, a disease of some sort where he lost testosterone per- production. And yeah. Can you say more for you? Like, well, I'll tell you what stuck out for me. There was the most, the thing that stuck out most for me was, um, so two things, there was a woman who they gave testosterone therapy to, and she found herself getting more dominant and more aggressive. Yeah, and her sexuality changed too, right? From Hit the a, roof. Yeah, but it was like, she described like a sort of imagistic fantasy-based sexuality yeah. and then more sort of seeming lower down, just yeah. looking at bodies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, as far from the biological side, that catches my attention. And then related, one element was there was this workplace where people voted to see who would have the most testosterone based on qualities that are typically associated with the masculine, like dominance, for example. And everybody was right. And it was, a, it <laughs> it was, was accurate. A, yeah, it was right. There was, a, there was a woman in this office who had the highest testosterone. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But it was, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, that, makes, that makes me think, too, of this one study. And I don't think I can say it. Uh, succinctly but there was they did a study on like primates i think it was gorillas and they made one of the silverbacks the lowest on the totem pole like the hierarchy and they made the the lowest the highest through whatever social conditioning and they found that like their roles completely reversed that the testosterone changed but like the previous dominant gorilla became kind of neurotic weird got more diseases and then the one that was diseased and neurotic became sort of this shining strong gorilla male so like it feels even nature nurture is like more confusing than we want to give it credit for yes (laughs) yeah yeah i'm curious for you kind of like when this came alive for you within your like explorations like when when did you start to investigate and become curious around masculinity for yourself and like the people you work with Mm -hmm. Well, it has been an issue since I was a little boy yeah. because my father died when I was seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's been a pivotal event that has been like an organizing principle of my psyche. Yeah. That's been a yeah. sort of driving force in ways for your life. It's Yeah, it's just, just pivotal and that, that from that event. And he, he died of cancer. So before that, not by any fault of his own, he was absent. Yeah. And... Yeah. So I think what I, I was, what I recognized is I looked for masculinity. There was some instinct that I needed it. And I have thought about the different people in my life that I was getting a a hit of that off or getting that, that modeling Mm -hmm. and internalizing off different people like my grandfather and then certain friends Mm -hmm. who I thought carried masculinity. I would be gravitate towards them. And then I feel like the most, it wasn't until I found my main Zen teacher that I saw healthy masculinity actually embodied. And and this is Hogan, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you actually felt like there was a masculinity you wanted to 
like transmit like you wanted that transmitted to yourself in a way whatever version it would become for you i mean i at the time i was 24 when i first met him and yeah. i didn't know what was going on but now looking back almost 20 years later i see that part of what magnetized me to him is he embodies masculinity imperfectly of course as a human would it, yeah but in an in, in a, uh in a robust and powerful way he, he's he's been willing to step into those energies really strongly and so that was a model for me that i'm grateful for you know in some ways i was reparented yeah and did he did you feel he took some role in that and sort of uh supporting you in working with your masculinity whether directly or indirectly i if he did it was just by being who he was mm -hmm. yeah he did he, you know he would emphasize certain qualities that i might call masculine again i feel like i'm on thin ice with that he did emphasize certain things like challenge Sometimes I associate the value of being challenged, like going through challenge equals growth as a kind of masculine mode of development. Mm -hmm. And whether that's true or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are what's true for you. Right? Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah. He would really encourage that. Yeah. He would encourage that. He always encouraged to feel deeply. Mm -hmm. To feel deeply. He is very, a lot of integrity around relationship. Mm -hmm. a lot yeah, of when, when I've met him, he, he had a very upright quality. That He's I... a very upright man. Yeah. Yeah. And he respects his wife profoundly and deeply. And I, I see him, I don't see, I don't see any misogyny and I don't see sexism in him. Yeah. And for listeners, right, like Hogan and Chosen, they teach together, it seems equally just from my outsider view. I mean, you would know much better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you would know much better. <laughs> it's, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like all things are. But I mean, yeah. it felt like, oh, these two people are doing a dance around running this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's more what I meant more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like you're, you're, you're seven, you're, your dad dies, which leaves a sort of a whole in a way and it sounds like the absence before then too right and then mm -hmm. you naturally are gravitating towards male figures mm -hmm. and then you find hogan mm -hmm. and when you look back you see that he was holding something for you there Absolutely. around masculinity yeah and i'm curious for you when the exploration of masculinity became conscious like when you started to mm -hmm. more investigate it yourself and be curious about it and you know what I mean? That sort of natural yeah. kind of gravitation versus like, oh, this is a thing mm -hmm. that I need to look at and work with. I think it began around the same time I started practicing Buddhism. Mm, yeah. And it wasn't so long before Chosen became one of my teachers. And I was working with a man and a woman and really feeling the differences. <laughs> feeling the differences there. And... I was also seeing the different issues that the young men had in our community versus the women. Yeah. So it became an incidental study of, well, what does it mean to be a guy, especially in my twenties and thirties, what does that mean? And how do we navigate? There are particular challenges. Well, what would you see in the community there of the, the young men or men that mm -hmm. were in your Zen community? Mm -hmm. 
I would see very rarely did the men in their 20s, especially their 20s, sometimes even into their 30s, have the capacity to really inhabit their emotional life. Mm -hmm. So vulnerability was marginalized or just they're out of touch with it. And, and of course, this was me too. Yeah, yeah. When you're in your 20s there too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they were attracted to Zen because it has an impersonal and transpersonal emphasis. Yeah, it has a bit of a, a warrior-like quality, right? There's a, a fierceness and pain is valued in a certain way. It can be. Stoicism, the good stuff of Stoicism is valued. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that. I noticed... Uh, all, and then I noticed this even more as I became a teacher. Almost every, I started teaching at Reed College fairly early in my training. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with um, men and women, but a lot of the guys felt the connection with me in 18, 19, 20. I was not that much older than them. Maybe I was 28 at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of issues around pornography, mm. sexuality, not knowing how to deal with sexual energy. Yes. Inner conflict around the shame they felt around that and their relationships with the women they were sexual with. So like that whole confusion about, I do objectify and yet I'm attracted to women and how do I navigate this? Mm -hmm. And I saw that none of us had any real education on how to work with sexual energy or understand this. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to kind of start as you name sure. it. There's sort of the, the sexual quality of the masculine and objectifying and porn yeah. use and yeah kind of what it just seems the milieu of growing up as a man and at least Western culture. I remember hearing the other day, there was a, a study where they, well, they were trying to do a study of the effects of porn on young boys or young men, yeah. and they couldn't find a control group. Oh my God. Yeah. They couldn't wow. find like a 12, they couldn't find 12 year olds that hadn't watched porn to make a control group for the study. Wow. That's sad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, so for you, right, like, what's with the struggle around sexuality and males? Like, what's going on there? Do you have any answers or just any insights? I just got theories. Yeah, yeah, theorize away, man. I'll take what you can get. I struggle, so I could use some help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think testosterone is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah. So that, and this is, I, I'm not excusing anybody. This isn't... Um, men are not victims of masculinity, excuse me, of, of testosterone. Mm -hmm. But it's a force that we aren't educated on how to understand it. Yeah, even knowing it's a force that has a power over us and that we might need to have a boundaried relationship with it or to like yeah. really look at it. Yeah. 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 And then it might be getting a little bit better in the as we've moved into the 2010s and 20s and more consciousness growing, but the, those the Gen X folks, and probably true for millennials, we grew up in a culture that very much still objectified women, mm -hmm. and women are sexual objects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think that does to us to kind of live in that culture with such a, a strong emphasis on objectifying? And well, here's the tricky thing. Yeah. The mind is magnetized towards beauty. Mm -hmm. I know That's I'm looking hard. at that painting behind you. I keep getting yes. pulled. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that's archetypal. Mm -hmm. And so if, if somebody is 
masculine sex and gender they are going to find the feminine beautiful in -hmm. general that's going to be they're going to be drawn towards that and unless you're enlightened you live in a world of objects yeah you live in a world of separation yeah so there's this natural thing going on where i've i mean it's from as young as I can remember, I've just been like, oh, girls, like, yeah, wow. Yeah, and you make eyes there, right? Like the eyes get drawn and pulled. Girls, yeah. And then puberty comes and, oh, not only can I look at them, but I can touch them and mm-hmm. do this thing. And so that natural archetypal draw, the testosterone plus the culture, like, you know, it just came to mind was Vanna White. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wheel of oh, Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the show and there's this woman being objectified. Her body's on display for no reason. Yeah, to turn a card and they don't even have cards later on, right? It's just a, a digital screen, but she still goes and like touches the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've never heard her talk. I've watched that. My mom watched that right. show like every day when I was growing up. Right. Yeah. Never heard her voice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm... I and many of us are cultured just to see the objectification of women and the objectification of their bodies. And unless you grew up with a feminist and, or someone who had, who had studied feminism, had that consciousness, I doubt in the 80s, 90s that you received an understanding of what was going on. Yeah, like an awareness of the kind of culture we're being yeah. brought up in and the way yeah. we're like behaviors that are normalized that maybe should be challenged in some way or looked at at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I had the blessing of some conscious women who were, as I started dating, pointed some of that out to me. Oh, you had some good mirrors to kind of show Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. 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 But so that's, that's my, that's my working theory of why that happens. Yeah. And you know, like, for myself and I've seen with others maybe people that kind of take on a growth or a spiritual sort of mindset right like there can be a bit of cutting off around the sexual energy like it almost like you're saying testosterone is a force to be reckoned with and maybe beyond that right even these archetypal energies that it's it's hard to work with yes and sometimes it's sort of like like I'm just gonna sort of tune that out you know i'll meditate two hours a day and i won't i'll tell people about that but i won't talk to them about the half an hour porn i watch a day either. <laughs> <laughs> or like whatever you know what yeah. i mean yeah. so i'm just like i guess I, I feel like i'm circling something i'm trying to get towards it like around it is a force it is it is a lot in ways for for some people right and i think there's a different spectrum around kind of anyone in their sexuality mm-hmm. But like, what what supports us or supported you in being able to turn towards that force and work with it versus letting it kind of just run rampant or yeah. pushing it away? Okay, that's yeah. a really it's a really good question for my particular background. And this is this is a unique situation. So the thing that I have a hard time with is it's not so accessible to others. But in a nutshell, when I went into the monastery. Um, a couple years in, I took a vow of celibacy. Oh man! Which I chose. Yeah, yeah. I chose it, and it was about five or six years, all in all, where even long, long periods where I wouldn't even masturbate. Um, 
so in there there were some periods of masturbation but there was well, six years yeah i couldn't i couldn't maintain the boundaries around it yeah yeah that was because, that was because, the edge you were working with there. yeah yeah, yeah. The energy was too intense oh. but didn't have a sexual relationship for five or six women and excuse me five or six <laughs> years what that was funny freud would love that <laughs> yeah that was a, is that a freudian slip maybe uh it was a slip of some sort <laughs> here's what here's what i was was like kind of coming up for me was i had to learn to work with objectification of women on a mental level in order to maintain celibacy oh yeah say, say more about that so when i first went into this it was basically in the warrior spirit it was oh other mystics and monks have said that your sexual energy becomes sublimated into the force of awakening it's chi mm -hmm. I mean, technically it's jing oh i don't know those in, in the chinese energy system there's three energies and jing is the sexual force and you can deplete it you don't necessarily get it back mm, okay so but buddhist monasticism has i i feel um a complicated relationship around sexuality. So here I was, an idealistic twenty-something, reading these texts, and I just how, thought, "How old were you when you like you're a couple years in the monastery?" I was twenty-six when I took a vow. Of celibacy. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did it out of a warrior spirit, and because I wanted to be the best monk I could be and be like correct and do it right. And yeah, you like looked things. up towards these sort of historical figures and maybe people yeah. you knew too, and yeah, and we're like, "I'm going to be like them." Yeah, yeah. I felt well if they had to do all this stuff to know what it means to be enlightened enough, why would I be any different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took that on when I ordained, which is in 2006. Okay, it was part of the ordination for you in a way? Yeah, uh, I chose and my teachers tried to say, why don't you just take a two year vow? Or why don't you? Oh, wait, you, you said it at five years or six? I did. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, you, I didn't, are. I didn't you were going it. for it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't keep it. <laughs> I broke that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But what what I in trying to maintain it, I had to look at the mind and sexual fantasy more and the objectification of women. Mm -hmm. So it began as a mind training because if you're going to be celibate, you can't let your mind run with sexual fantasies because before you know it, you're going to end up masturbating. Yeah, like the, you don't want that energy to build up enough where exactly. you can't say like you can't get off that train. Yeah, yeah. So is that so that for you was like a, a sort of meditative process of catching the fantasy and is it redirecting attention or working Absolutely. with the energies in the yeah. body? Yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was starting to sublimate. I, I, it's true. There's a grain of truth to all of that. And, and for for those that don't know, like sublimation is a, a Freudian concept around kind of transmuting those base energies uh -huh. and it goes way deeper than freud right like it's been happening yeah. for a long time yeah yeah and that supposed to add to the energetic system like there's more energy yeah. available for the the spiritual pursuit am i catching Absolutely. that right yeah yeah you could think of it as so it's you we have erotic energy eros lives in us mm -hmm. and you can take that on a genital or a physical interpersonal relationship but the connection to the divine mm. if you give it if you cut off that lower outlet and i use lower in quotes mm -hmm. with the right intention it will it will then seek a higher channel that's the theory of sublimation and okay. my understanding yeah. yeah yeah and you found it worked a bit well it worked a bit but but that was you know that was my kind of self-centered idea around it but the good thing was i began to actually 
really see how much I did relate to women as objects. Mm -hmm. I lived with very attractive women at times. Yeah, Zen, I mean, and maybe some folks who don't know, like Zen centers are uh, relationships. Uh, I don't know the yeah. policies at your, the place you were at too well, but like relationships happen, yep. especially in your 20s. It seems to be yep. like, I didn't know that. Like, oh, like, yeah. you could go to a Zen center and find partners. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great place for it. It's like in my thirties, <laughs> I look back, I'm like, oh, that was the... <laughs> it's like the spiritual spring break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there were attractive women around you that you were there attractive women around. Uh, and, and I'm working on this at first just because I want to sublimate the energy. But then I realize, oh, this helps me see women more clearly. Oh. And this helps me have mature relationships with women that aren't compromised by my sexuality. It didn't get in there and complicated. It was so much more simple. I developed a uh, friendship with a, a married woman um, that I've been friends with her now for 15 years during that time that I don't think would have, would have been really complicated by, by the way I was coming in as a 20-year-old relating to sexual energy. Even when you say like seeing women clearly, like I just feel my body relax when you say that, like a sort of like, oh, yeah. What would you see there as you started to see women more clearly? I imagine you saw how you, all the things you did on top of that, right? Like that. The, yeah, uh, that's nicely said. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it's, I would say I'm still in the process of really removing projection. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in talking about the anima yeah get into I'll, that i'll take a little note here for that that's one. <laughs> yeah that's another that's something i really have been approaching the last several years more directly um i mean in a way it, it's as simple as i could just like listen more and like relate to this person oh. as just like a friend who has common struggles yeah not as this mythical object that might give me this pleasure or this confirmation of me as a man yeah, like a human in their own right, not a human for your own your own definition or your own needs yeah. or bullshit. This sounds so ego. remedial. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it's important. <laughs> I know, but as I'm saying this, I'm like, well, this is so remedial. like, of course you should be able to do that. Yes. But the way we're socialized and maybe also biology makes that not so simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean our like, you know, just the studies around women and culture and like the higher incomes for women that are attractive and there's all these sort of points of data that like this is so embedded in our culture you know and i think it would be it's wrong to ask people to initially be apart from their culture like it takes work mm -hmm. yeah to to yeah. look at this and see this like i know for me um like I, I we have similar but different backgrounds like my my dad left me when i was about the same age your dad died yeah. okay. so Sorry. it's a different sort of complication you know mm -hmm. um but raised by a woman and i always had like a complicated relationship with masculinity mm -hmm. but i went to a graduate school that was in feminist training mm -hmm. it was feminist therapy they wouldn't say that but <laughs> mm -hmm. so i was reading a lot of literature and like having to contend with like just because i've disidentified doesn't mean I'm not participating in maleness, mm -hmm. if yeah. that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I'm still benefiting from the privilege and mm -hmm. all these sort of shadow ways it still plays out. Mm -hmm. And I would just, all of this like literature around the way men are that I never read, it was just watching it play out everywhere. Yeah. Like, like, oh yeah, people have a clue of how we are. 
Yeah. Then we don't. And you could read about it. <laughs> like there was this one, like men will talk first in a groom. Like it's just they'll talk first in a group. And men will feel uncomfortable if like the conversation is not 80% male dominated in a room. Mm-hmm. And I was like in a graduate course and there was like 25 people in the room. And the old, first four people that spoke were the four men in the group. And the rest were women. And it was just, you know, like these small little things around like, like how embedded we are, I think, in, mm-hmm. in these practices of maleness. Yeah. Yeah. So we touched on sexuality a bit there. And I mean, it might be a good segue for anima, right? Because they're kind of linked in a way, this sort of the, the outward women in our lives. And then mm-hmm. this inner, inner, you speak to anima. I'm not even going to summarize what it is. Like, what, what is anima for you? And it's come alive for you in the last couple years yeah yeah. i I might be asking you to be too specific but like no it's okay well i certainly don't represent the jungians oh okay and i'm not and i can't say i represent jungian theory though i'm influenced by that yeah yeah well maybe inner feminine is a better term Mm -hmm. so and this is exciting part of working with men now around this because i found this so healing why this almost blind compulsion towards the woman as that which is going to complete why is that such a force when i started practicing meditation i saw how much that power that had over my mind it was really amazing how much attraction there is how strong that attraction is it can define a whole life yeah and you were speaking of the objectifying earlier, yeah. but I think you're touching a different level there, the sort of archetypal, yeah. fantastical pull that we have. Yes. Like the stories and the fantasies we yeah. build around what's going to happen yeah. when this object becomes ours or we can join. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 As, as you know, what, what is unknown in us or unintegrated, we could see in others. The world reveals through the other. Mm. right that's like the shadow we literally can't see the shadow mm-hmm. but actually it's coming towards us in the form of other people yeah. and so my own let's say uh, a quality that especially when i was younger really attracted me about women was if they were playful oh yeah i was so serious <laughs> you sounded serious you took a five-year vow <laughs> yeah i was a serious dude in those times <laughs> I'm glad you worked on it, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a Saturnian quality mm-hmm. is, yeah. is seriousness, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so I was really serious. So the, a woman who was lighthearted or playful, that was so intoxicating. Yeah. And I imagine sometimes in the, the dance of flirtation or connection, you could be playful for moments if the woman was playful. playful. That's right. Yeah. But it depended on my proximity and relationship to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so over time, through different practices, as I won that back in myself, I, instead of just thinking it resided in her, I started to learn it from her, mm-hmm. find it in myself, then that compulsion goes away. Yeah. Doesn't mean I don't love women, doesn't mean I don't, I don't want a partnership or feel like I'm expanded by it, but a certain kind of well, what projection is, can be withdrawn. Yeah. So when you're talking of anima here, it's a, this sort of mirror that the, the other provides, the sexual other, 
you know, and women in this case, I think for both of us, but, and that you, we put something onto them and are drawn and pulled to that because that's what we are needing to recognize in ourselves and whether integrate or cultivate or allow for. Yeah. And like yeah. you found through so. that, that there's less of that pull in the same way. Not that you don't want partnership or don't want connection, but it doesn't feel as maybe compulsive or yeah, as it's more choiceful. Choiceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more choiceful. That sounds like life's a little easier. Yeah. In one yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, to really be transparent, I've now been with my my current dear partner for a year, but when I was dating, it was it was a horrible experience. <laughs> It was exhilarating and horrible. It was a lot of things, but it, it, it's still a complicated thing for me. Like when you left the monastery and you were dating. Yeah. 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 I mean, dating, we could, maybe that's another podcast. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) The Zen of dating. (laughs) You need to get someone else for that one. (laughs) Maybe you can interview them. (laughs) Right. I've been, I've been partnered for 10 years. That was a long time ago for me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. You're lucky The world of dating apps anyways yeah you know it's i was doing a practice i learned from my paratheater teacher um a person who's really influential in my own spirituality is anturo ali mm-hmm. who happens to be have lived in portland now for a few years and he developed something called paratheater which is basically a practice of working with archetypal energies in a very embodied way mm-hmm. and he could see when i was in an anima projections even with women outside of the room, he saw it in my my way of being. Like when you were inhabiting a role or an energy in the th- the theatrical performance quality, like in he could practice. tell what it was. Uh, he an could animal. Te- yes, he could tell. And one day he sent me his instructions for uh, anima recovery ritual <laughs> that he had done. He's kind of oh. clairvoyant. Yeah, yeah. He, and yeah. he had used his own ritual for his own journey. You, you're going to tell us about this one in case some of us need it or it's in a secret practice. I mean, I could, if someone's interested, they could contact me. Okay. Email jailgate if you yeah, want. Yeah. I'm actually interested in helping facilitate this for men. Yeah. Um, but basically you, how to describe the ritual. So it is a physical ritual you do and you, you invite the energy of the feminine. First, you relate to it as external mm-hmm. in an imaginal sense. Yeah, and, and then I see you, invite... you moving there too, right? Yeah, because yeah. this is an embodied practice, although mm-hmm. there are other ways to do it. So I built a shrine to the feminine. Oh, what was on? Can I ask what was on your feminine shrine? If that's all right, um, you don't have to share if you don't want. I'm just curious. There was the image of a woman I was dating who it was very painful. Oh, yeah, there were flowers. Mm-hmm. I don't quite remember what else I had on there. Yeah, yeah. I might have had like a divine feminine, like a Tara image, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I try. Um, I always have, I can't, I shouldn't even say it if I can't think of the name. Um, Diana, but the Greek equivalent. Um, Sophia? No, no, no. Um, Artemis. Artemis. Oh, Artemis. Is, yeah. it's just like, that's a screwed up animus projection because anima projection because she's a, like the virginal character. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyone that courts her gets killed. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that was a tangent. But you, you have this shrine <laughs> set up and you do this sort of external kind of embodied movement. 
um, relating to the feminine. So you relate to the energy of the shrine and you could take it even further. You might be able to have, if you have some affinity for the imaginal, feel the presence of the feminine mm -hmm. and you move with it. And then the next part of the ritual is you invite it into your body. Mm. And we did a lot of work like this in paratheater, but you feel the feminine in your own body, which is there. Yes. And you let it animate you. Yeah. Which can be scary in my experience. Yeah. Like, whoa, my body's moving in ways that like, I didn't, I don't move this way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there are thousands of men who wouldn't go anywhere near ecstatic dance. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right? or, because... or they, they masculinely dance the ecstatic. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find so much of this, my own experience, like hips are so present, at least in the embodied mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. and like a circular quality yeah. and that might just be my own sort of reclamation process but i relate to that yeah yes yeah so this ritual um it was powerful for me i did it twice um and this was now about four years ago i did this ritual and i feel like it really shifted something yeah and the idea is that when you recover your projections on the feminine your relationship with it is more free and more clear and women benefit from that yeah you know so. yeah so so one thing i'm curious about like so if we're kind of using the anima framework here mm -hmm. this is reclaiming the inner feminine in a way mm -hmm. but I, i'm curious i think there's a flip side to this of reclaiming or working with the inner masculine yeah and i'm wondering if you could speak to that a bit because that's actually where i find more struggle myself like I, the, I, not I, that the feminine's easy but i think sometimes that's it's easier for me to kind of get low and get sort of in the body but then to be like firm and angry or to hold hold a line yeah is much more of a challenge for me personally yeah so i'm wondering yeah, i like, resonate with that i think that's true for me as well yeah i mean maybe we have a similarity kind of being raised by our mothers yeah yeah, yeah. well the zen training was a place i feel like it's a very it's a it's a pretty masculine spiritual it's tradition. pretty masculine it's pretty masculine yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you get there on time, you sit still, yes. you don't move, you follow the schedule. Yeah, I had a Zen Roshi scold me for weeping once. Oh, no, sh wait, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, this was a Japanese person, oh. which is a, a culture, a culture that is even more leans towards patriarchy than where we're at in North America. Yeah, and, and that's part of Zen too, right? This sort of transmission from a patriarchal society. Yeah. And then coming here and still keeping some of that, but then being modified and like... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you found that Zen was a place for you where you could reclaim some of the masculine or work with these masculine energies? I think I did. Uh-huh. Because what I found in that situation, and it was different things at different stages in my training, is I had to face fears and step into challenges and hold boundaries in myself and with working with people that outside of that situation, I don't think I would have had that experience. Mm. It was almost like there were rites of passage and threshold experiences that the tradition helped me step into. Yeah. If, if you think back there, do some sort of stand out in your mind? Um, maybe not the specifics of it, but the, mm -hmm. the sort of archetypal or the essence quality of it. Yeah, well, we do. As you know, we do a style of meditation retreat called Sashin, mm -hmm. 
and the essence of session is you are in a crucible where you sit with yourself for hours and hours and you have no choice. Yeah. There's no choice. And I think a certain stability, first of all, develops from that, which you might call, call masculine or an ability to just stay in a kind of fierce presence with what is, with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And you're alone. Hmm. you're alone you may you're doing this aloneness with other people yeah, it's paradoxically alone because you're surrounded by alone. everyone else alone yeah. Too. yeah 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 so um learning to hold space for myself yeah uh, in in that way without any escape hatches yeah and you're speaking of bravery here in a way bravery Bravery, courage, yeah. Willingness. Mm-hmm. Willingness, yeah. And there's some quality, I'm just relating as we're talking, which yeah. I'm like flashing back on Sashin's, but like you hold a, hold a posture, right? The posture is very important in a way. Yeah. But inside, you could be like a little kid weeping. But if you like look at look out her, right? You're yeah. upright, you're holding yourself. But like I've had many moments just like, oh, like this is horrible. <laughs> like, when is it gonna end? Like, please ring the bell. How much longer? Yeah. But like, yeah. If anyone saw, I just kind of was very still and my eyes were straightforward, but like the inner sound was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that seems like a masculine training to me in a way of sort of warriorship and kind warriorship. of warriorship that's a great word yeah warriorship yeah mm -hmm. i found i had a terrible fear of public speaking mm. now the irony is that's what i do for a living more or less i talk to groups and to people and i had to face it i mean terrible fear of it like like armpits dripping if i got called on to speak even in a group that yeah. i knew of people i knew yeah and that's part of ceremony and a part of some of the the rituals and practices of your community right you have to talk at certain points yeah 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 there's yeah. a rite of passage called the the shuso which is like the head trainee and you have to get up in front of the community and you're tested yeah everyone asks you a question everyone right? asks Every, you a question everyone that chooses and, to yeah and you're responding spontaneously as best you can and yeah and hogan would um call on me all the time to to speak in front of people and I remember one time I was sitting down and he asked me to speak and I was nervous and he said, Jogan, why don't you stand up? Cause he knew that when I was in the meditation posture, I could lean on a space of meditation more. Mm. And so he invited me to like expose myself and really inhabit that anxiety, but still do what I needed to do in that moment. Yeah. That sounds so beautiful. And like maybe a part of, I don't know if it's a part of masculine, but the, like the anxiety the fear that doubt yeah. and showing up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think we could make a nice distinction between fearlessness and courage mm -hmm. yeah there's a kind of aristilian quote there right like cur courage is showing up with fear or something like that i forget yeah. what it is yeah 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 oh. so but like so i had this experience when i uh was doing like De decolonial training like in decolonization mm -hmm. and it was this really beautiful practice where you put stones around you mm -hmm. and it's they're representative of different identities like masculinity sexuality religion 
and you kind of place them, you pick the stones and you place them sort of intuitively. Mm -hmm. And then you move between the stones and see how the other ones are affected. Mm. And I had this experience of moving on to religion, which like is and was Zen for me at the mm -hmm. time. And masculinity changed. Mm. That like when I was in a Zen context, I was way more comfortable with masculinity for myself. Mm. Like I could be quiet, I could be blunt, not like blunt in a mean way, but just like, there's a no nonsense in Zen sometimes. Like, where is it at? It's there. Like, it's not like, oh, let me help you find it. Like, are you okay? It's just like, it's right there. Or like, Direct. you know, yeah, like I'm doing my job. You do your job. Like, that's what yeah. we do. Yeah. So, and, then, and it was like, so, and I was like, oh, it was really shocking to see that like, oh, I'm so much more comfortable with masculine in this sacred context. Mm -hmm. But then you put me in like the everyday, whatever, outside of that container, like I transform my masculinity. I sort of dampen it or soften it to kind of move through this space. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if the, there's something there for you, if you found that sort of in being, spending a lot of time in the monastic space and then mm -hmm. now being out of it and how masculinity feels similarly or differently for you. Mm. That's a really interesting example you gave. Yeah. yeah. And I, just lo I love the question, partially because fluidity of identity is something that's really meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I studied that from two different angles from Zen where you, you train in fluidity of identity uh, and deconstructing who you think you are mm -hmm. down to the ultimate mystery of, you can't say anything about it. Yeah. Like it's so fluid. It's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then through the paratheater work and the voice dialogue where you learn to move between different parts of yourself with the kind of uh, ease. And yeah. so I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, what first came up with me is I, I was thinking back when I first started working with my female students. And I remember one young woman had trauma, self-identified. And I found that I would just instinctively modulate what we're calling masculinity in order for her to feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't sort of like you read in a book that you should kind of be a certain no. way. No, it was an instinctive. Yeah, but you and modulated then, that. I'd modulate it. And then, you know, someone would walk in like, you know, an arrogant young 20 year old guy and I would just kind of get fierce again because that's the energy I needed to meet. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's one of the blessings of the training is we learn to just be that kind of responsive to the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my, my girlfriend says, you're not really that masculine. You're actually feminine. You're a very feminine man. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, outside of that context of being a teacher, I don't know how I modulate my masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm still sort of like stuck a bit on like the integrating and reclaiming of masculine energies. Mm -hmm. And I think and I'm just trying to sit with like, like anger and sexuality mm -hmm. and maybe even agency. Like mm -hmm. the, these are sort of three domains that can be challenging for folks to integrate mm -hmm. whatever their gender identification is. Mm -hmm. And you, you spoke to this beautiful ritual of, I saw it as like courting the feminine and then inviting it into the body. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, what, what what's the same thing for the animus if we're going to stay in that language of how to work with those energies like how do we work with anger 
work with a agency right the, yeah. the willingness to create and to assert and to decide that like this is what i'm gonna do yeah, yeah. outside of for us that aren't in a zen temple on a regular basis <laughs> yeah yeah well i'll share my thoughts on it. i'm really interested in yours too yeah so let me start with agency um I think everybody has desires and they, there are desires if we really discern that get closer to our heart hmm. and their desires that are actually further away. And there's different ways to discern, like, what do I truly care about? Yeah. What am I really living for? Yeah. What really matters to me? Yeah. Okay. If, if you weren't trying to impress anybody, if you weren't trying to please your parents, or society, what really matters to me. Yeah. So there's some like work we can do around that kind of uh, investigation, like peeling off the layers. I love this, as you say, this is my heart's just very happy right now. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, especially the yeah. layers and like, yeah, like the condition sort of expressions of what we think we want. And as it gets closer yeah. and closer, and yeah. yeah, yeah, I think what w w the desires that are in the depth of our heart are utterly trustworthy. Hmm. I think they're utterly trustworthy. Go, go ahead. Oh, I'm just thinking about uh, what you were talking about with 20, 20 year old boys, like still call them boys. I mean, and this sort of struggle and being in the feeling body, mm -hmm. which sometimes is the heart too, right? Like not, not right. that it's totally one, but like, if we're not in our feeling body or embodied in our just body that we're maybe not going to be able to hear that heart or work with that it may it may take some training yeah mm -hmm. that, that was where my eyes started yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i think where i want to connect with the desire and agency is once you know what you really care about mm -hmm. then it's easier to do what you want to do mm. but we have to work with doubt. We have to work with fear of success. We have to work with um, the energy in us that wants to please other people. So essentially what I'm trying to say is everyone has this force of positive force of agency. And what I have found helped me and I think helps others is working with what are the obstacles to that? Who's in the way mm -hmm. of this natural doing of what your heart really wants to see done that the the heart calling is inherent in a way yeah and it's blocked so it's and not it's necessarily blocked. creating that desire or even it's making room for it to express in our exactly. lives exactly yeah here's the problem with all this kind of thinking though then people start to think oh i'm supposed to have some grand purpose in life yeah yeah like what what am i gonna cure or what am i gonna solve or create yeah, I'm supposed to be passionate. Uh, I'm going to find my purpose and be passionate. Yeah. And we think that somebody out there is so passionate. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's the tricky thing about this. You may find that your agency is around something simple, very simple. You know, it may not be some grand, bold thrusting yourself onto the world stage. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter if you really clarify like the native desires of your heart. I don't think it matters. You won't at that point. It won't matter to you. Yeah, because the stage is such a part of our culture, right? Like we're such a stage or like 
Instagram. I mean, we're on a stage right now. It's just me and you, but this right, will be right, posted right. somewhere. Right. <laughs> and like, oh, how to, and that like how that can get infused with the heart calling, right? We assume it has to take a stage like or a grand quality, yeah. but like maybe our heart desires something simple or something small. Yeah. And like how to tease out these layers so that you can know where you're being influenced by the Absolutely. calling of the stage versus the maybe like i really want to make a chair for myself not for instagram <laughs> but <I> sit on <laughs> drink tea <laughs> yeah 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 well something that i think that buddhism at least some traditions of buddhism bring in that can be really helpful here is the the concept of bodhicitta mm-hmm and bodhicitta is basically may all beings flourish it's this spirit it's a it's a it's a stance of the heart may all beings flourish mm-hmm. and the theory is that everybody has that in them too because what we are spiritually is intimately connected and so what we do is affecting others in subtle and and not so subtle ways. And so once we make that conscious, may my life be an offering for all beings, and that could be my community, my family. It's just like when we turn it away from a narcissistic, what do I wanna do to, I'm embedded in a system that I affect, an energy comes, right? An energy comes forward that helps agency because self-centeredness hinders the flow of energy in us yeah Yeah. when we turn outward and we're like i'm do i'm making this chair for the benefit of all beings doesn't mean i have to sell them doesn't mean that you know Mm -hmm. i have to invite people over to sit it but somehow this is my offering to the world it it opens up energy and you know, there was a metaphor, I think um, Shanti Deva used it. He said, um, if you want to open a small tea shop just to serve a, um, a few people, um, it'll have a very different effect if you say, I want to serve, you know, the whole city. So there's something about an expansive vision of how we want our life to be offered that brings in a lot of energy and lends more meaning anyway. Mm-hmm. that I feel helps agency be sustained. Self-centeredness is draining. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love there's like two layers here as you talk that really resonate for me. Like one, as you're just saying, right, the that this sort of altruistic, if we're going to use more modern language, kind of quality of humanness, that we are altruistically wired if we want to go there. I don't really go there yeah, that often. Yeah, but this bodhicitta calling like it supports our agency because it, it gives meaning and it it's for others. So there's all these other people here that matter in my agency. Yeah. And like, that's really beautiful to me. Cause I know for me, my calling, sometimes they're overwhelming at times or I'm scared. Like even this, as I'm talking to you, right. I'm a little like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I love your, I love your transparency. Yeah. So <laughs> And it's like a work for me just to sit here and like show up. Um, but there's this other piece in there too for me around trust, right? That like I, I hear that as you're talking that like 
I'm going to listen and learn to hear this inner kind of calling or maybe it's not even a calling that gives such heroic meaning to it but like yeah yeah, but just this inner voice that kind of is clear and that if I follow that that is maybe part of the larger scheme part of the the greater offering yeah and like that can be so scary I think to like oh it's just like using the same it's just building a chair but look at the world right like the world's fucked and I'm just gonna build a chair (laughs) Mm mm-hmm that you, I mean, you bring up an interesting issue. And I can't say I've resolved that because as we were saying, this doesn't have to be grandiose. Yeah. The, you know, the Buddhists are biased around bodhicitta mm-hmm. because they basically feel like the most generous thing you can do for the world is clarify your own shit. Mm-hmm. Deal with your own greed, anger, and ignorance. And if you do that, the impact you make on the world is going to be very valuable because you are the world. Mm-hmm. and and so they're biased that's the main thing about bodhicitta yes be generous but um, if the work you're doing in the world is transforming you to be a more authentic true to your own values kind human being then that's the deepest offering you can make yeah and i think you were in a challenge view of it there earlier or... <laughs> well I, I just i just don't i won't take that as a dogma or an ultimate truth yeah yeah like you hold that that's important to you but you don't know if that is actually the the best i don't know the best but like a, a I stumble think you, i me. think you can't help but if if you act if you discern what you're what you really really care about and you act on that it can't help but be an offering it can't mm. help but be beneficial you know yeah. it, that kind of view of bodhicitta kind of makes it sound like people who are therapists and meditation teachers are like the best people because they're doing like the best thing. But well, we're not, we're like not that. always clear of greed, anger, and delusion as we <laughs> do sure. therapy. <laughs> For sure we're not. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my spiel about, about agency at this moment, you know? Yeah. There's... Thank you for that. I love that spiel. And... I rely on, I rely on bodhicitta to find energy to show up. Mm-hmm. when I when a par, other parts of me want to go back to sleep yeah yeah can we hang out with that a bit I'm I had an experience a little while ago doing a a ceremony it was like a combo ceremony it's like where you I've get heard of that. yeah frog poison and it's it's not a psychedelic but it's really intense and like in the the, the quality of the experience you know it's a bit animated and personified like I felt challenged by that medicine to see my my desire to be of benefit for the earth, right? Like the earth is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And then my fear and my wanting to kind of like turn away from that. And it was just, it just showed me that, you know, like, look at like, yeah. here's one thing and here's another thing. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. And I, I feel you hearing that on saying that on some level, that like this, these bodhicitic, bodhicitta callings, right? Like, Sometimes parts of us uh, don't are scared or maybe even selfish and they don't want to kind of give up their own stuff. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, but can Anybody you who denies with... that is not honest. Yeah. How, how, how do you work with that? I mean, as someone that seems to really care about doing the work for yourself and others, like, well, how do you work with the parts that are scared or selfish or want to sleep, like, mm-hmm. to honor the bodhicitta calling? Yeah. Well, I used to ignore them. 
and I, and I, I thought that was what I was supposed to do in Zen. Did you have a good strategy for ignoring him? Was it just like shh, quiet, or I just got good at meditating? Yeah, like well, you meditated. I mean, that was your bodhicitta calling for a while, right? You just yeah. lived in a monastery, and like that yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm I'm learning more and more to say, oh, sweetheart. Yes. Oh, I hear you. I yeah. feel you're scared. Yeah. Is there anything I can do? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like we're adults doing these adult things, but these younger parts of ourselves that are some of them are frozen in time. They're here, too. Mm -hmm. And that's more and more a reality for me. Yeah. Of engaging and working with these parts. Uh, yeah. Are scared or mm -hmm. um, feel the, the callings you have or the ways you want to be in the world are maybe too much for them. Or, Overwhelmed. Like, yeah. I think in the past, I'd show up to give a, tar a Dharma talk. And this little boy was there who was so afraid that people were going to like say he was dumb or something. Oh. And what I did in those days is I just practiced equanimity. Mm -hmm. So what that meant is that my heart was racing and sweat was going down my armpits, but I was leaning into a meditative capacity to not freak out. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm interested in making that part of me feel safe. Yeah. And you even touch your heart when you say that. Yeah. Cause he kind of lives there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm, there's this sort of, as you talk about this, right, this t tending to the parts, being with the parts. And I think sometimes maybe there's like a masculine feminine way of doing that. Hmm. Like, as you spoke there, that felt sort of feminine to me. I, I hate saying these words all the time. I never use these words in my yeah. daily life that much. Yeah. Anyone listening, right? <laughs> Don't yeah. come out of my mouth that often. <laughs> but we're here and we're doing right. it. Right. <laughs> But like this sort of receiving, like, oh, like you're scared. Like, let me hold you. What's going on as one mode? And then you describe this other masculine mode of equanimity, right? Of just mm -hmm. silencing out. Like, okay, you're there, but I'm ignoring you and I can be chill right now. And then I can mm -hmm. do, do my Dharma talk. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious about this other possibility too of like, how do we engage those parts and bring them along mm -hmm. like hey like yeah i know you're scared but we're sitting here and i gotta give this talk <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like do, do you do you like hear this place i'm trying to touch mm -hmm. on is it yeah i don't know if it's valid or not the place i'm touching but <laughs> it's an interesting exploration what what comes to mind is if if we if we take as a a, a relative truth that psyche contains these different parts and we live mm -hmm. with multitudes inside that means the little boy is never going to not be the little boy. Yeah, you can't like turn the little boy into the heroic kind of warrior. Nope. Yeah. You're not going to say man up to the little boy. I mm -hmm. mean, if you do, that's going to, you're going to get the effect of telling the little boy to man up. Yeah. So I think, I think the, what we can do is the more we, we show up, including the whole of ourself, the safer those parts of us feel mm. Mm -hmm. and they don't they 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 can just be here but be be kind of tucked away yeah be nestled uh, appropriately yeah yeah you're reminding me of work i've done in the past kind of parts work in more gestalt settings around what, what these parts need mm -hmm. like me kind of being the the 
taking the voice of the autonomous self or like the the I, right? Like, hey, I'm doing this. Like, we're going to do this. And then being the small boy, like, I don't want to. Like, I'm scared. Like, don't make me fucking do this, please. Mm-hmm. Or like, I won't do it, right? A little tyrannical boy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like going through the debate of like, well, it's like, what, what do you need if I do do this? And sometimes I feel the parts say something like, yeah. I, I need you to not ignore me. Yeah. like hide me away to go do this thing yeah yeah I, I you know that's that's so helpful you you said that i i discovered that for a while i thought i wasn't supposed to have my vulnerability present in my dharma teaching oh like they were separate sort of endeavors they were separate because um especially the japanese teachers a lot of them they they would never bring their own emotions or their own self into the teaching mm-hmm. it's it's impersonal or transpersonal Meaning it's and, like, and that's their, their aim in ways is to embody that, right? Embody and that, that and resonate that. Yeah. Yeah. But what I found is that at a certain point I invited my little boy was part of the talks Oh, yeah. in a way that I would just like speak more from that tender place or talk about things that I liked. And I was giving voice to how he felt and how he saw or the way I engaged with people. I would look at people differently and that mm. kind of thing. And that changed everything about the talks. When I included him in that way, he relaxed. Yeah. And I felt more um, real doing those talks. It felt like it, I was presenting a more holistic version of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really beautiful. I love hearing that. This sort of inviting these parts along and not just sort of like... Uh, getting them to do what we like sort of like subtly getting them to do what we want like oh wait i really want to give a dharma talk like what do you need to not be so annoying right now <laughs> well like hey do you want to give a dharma talk too like what do you want to talk about like, uh-huh. yeah <laughs> yeah oh. um hmm just thinking as we're here so one of the things that i like more in the therapeutic realm for me and just in life, but like, and we touched on this earlier, the disconnection from emotions. Mm-hmm. And like a part of my training is a, a Reikian psychotherapist, like somatics mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And like the literal, like muscular process of cutting off emotion from the face. Mm. But like we can't, like my, my therapist will, it's almost like theater training. Like they'll just, I'll, lay, I'll be laying down, right? We do some breath exercises to activate the body. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be like, okay, give me the excited face. Uh-huh. And he's like, again, again, again. And like 30 times, and then he'll point to like a little corner in my eyes. Like, what about right there? Like, there's, what's going on there? Are you excited there or not? Can you be excited there? Wow. And it's sort of like reanimating the face to, to show our embodiment. Uh-huh. And I'm curious for you, like your own journey, like you identified it sounded like with those 20 year old young men who are cut off and stoically doing the Zen thing. Like, what was your journey for you of reconnecting to emotions and then also maybe letting those emotions be visible and be known? Uh-huh. Wow. I'm, I'm inspired by that practice. That sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, I think there, you know, there's a reason why we disconnect from emotion is because we know that it's going to be, it's going to be a lot to really inhabit it. Mm. 
we're going to have to feel deeply and it might not, may not be pleasant. And mm -hmm. so for me, that was true. Like the trauma of my loss of my father, you know, I had, I had some pretty strong chronic sickness from not digesting that. Mm. And you felt that gastrointestinally? In yes. A way? Yeah. Yeah. Did I tell you that? No, I just, I'm, I just, I'm assuming. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I did say digest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a trained ear for these things. <laughs> yeah. No, nice. I appreciate that. Um, I had severe IBS. Oh, yeah. And in hindsight, I see that it was undigested emotion. It was emotion I could not inhabit before I had my training as a, as a Zen student. And, and was that a part of your process there of having to go back and work with some of that grief and what happened around the loss of your father at that age? Well, it, in a way, yes, but it was indirect because there's, you can't sit in that meditation posture and you know, there's this emphasis on being upright. Mm -hmm. I've never and been my, very good at that. <laughs> my posture before that, I had tr I was kind of like collapsed a little bit from all the sorrow and the guardedness that I held. And so there's this, there's this bodily training and that unlocks things. Oh, like just the inherent, like, I'm not going to say force, but like posturing the body open, opens these energies to move through the body. Yeah. It's that plus wakefulness. Mm -hmm. Like bringing the bright attention to the experience exactly and you do that for hours and hours and it's like it's gonna just heat up you know what's frozen and it's gonna thaw things and uh, i imagine this is fairly common for people who start to meditate more regularly or intensively that stuff starts to thaw mm -hmm. and that definitely that definitely happened for me and were you aware of the content that was thawing or was it more just a sort of soup of feeling tension struggle constriction that was opening up yeah sometimes it sometimes i was aware of the content you know i remember writing poems about my mother and just like things that happened to me in childhood and strong memories would come up and sometimes i was just feeling the contractions or the the, the grief that was basically a mystery for a long time mm. and uh it's actually harder when you don't know what it is. Yeah, right. I think yeah. about that a lot. Like even today, I mean, I was a little bit glad, but I, I woke up so irritated today. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I can be irritable at times, but it was like, and it had an explosive quality. Like I felt like I was going to explode. Yeah. And if I would sit, it would kind of quiet and be more of this energy I could be with. But yeah, and I had no idea why. I'm like, what the fuck? And it just happens every few weeks where I'm just like irritable and kind of want to explode. And like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, I get, yeah, totally. <laughs> Especially with COVID, I'm like, my normal <laughs> coping mechanisms <laughs> are gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I snapped at my girlfriend this morning very strongly. It scared her, you know, yeah. this burst of anger. No clue what it was about. I mean, there's something she did I didn't particularly like, but the, what she was doing and the response were so oh. far apart. So it's just like, and they also sounded really close too that they happened fast. Yeah, yes. <laughs> stimulus and response were very close too. Yeah, I yeah. woke up this morning telling my partner we were divorced for the day. <laughs> <laughs> like I just want to be divorced for today. All right. <laughs> I love that. I was like too mad to even pretend to be in relationship with you right now. Yeah, I wasn't even mad at her. Right. <laughs> And this feels like a playful segue kind of in like irritability and anger and yeah yeah like and like those often being emotions that are associated with masculinity although that yeah. i think is 
not accurate. And like, I, I did want to name this. I've seen one thing that I find interesting that there's this cliche around men only being able to be angry. That only all, being able to be? Yeah, they're like that's the, the sort of the emotion that's open and all the other emotions get funneled through anger. Uh-huh. And maybe that was true in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, but I see a lot of more people my age, maybe like, as you're saying, Gen Xers, millennials mm-hmm. that have really cut off from anger. Uh-huh. Like they, they saw that, right? They saw their dads just yeah. like waking up in the morning snapping. Yeah. And they're like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And then it's pushed away, but then they don't like, they are like, well, I'm not an angry person. And it's like, well, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't think you know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, could you sh- share for you around like irritability, anger, and any advice, even as today we were two people that struggled with it, or like how you see it, you know? Yeah. Well, I resonate with um, being cut off from it. Yeah. And I had a, I had a stepfather who was violent. Oh. And so I saw that, and I was afraid of that. And did he direct it to you, or were you witness verbally? It? Verbally, I didn't ever receive physical violence from him, but my sister did a little bit. Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm so, all, I'm getting angry now. <laughs> yeah, right, right, it rises up. What's that about? Yeah. Well, the first thing I came up to share is is practices of reclaiming it mm-hmm. that I could share. Please, um, that's I part need, of the I need tradition. those today. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, using anger, but you're kind of transmuting it into ferocious energy is a part of some systems of Zen training. Yeah, I don't think I got this Zen training. Can you tell me about it? Well, there's a practice, um, a koan practice of working with something called Mu. Oh, yeah. Kind of sometimes the first practice that's given. Sometimes the first koan, yeah. yeah. And when you, you're working on that, working with that in your meditation, but when you meet with the teacher, you are offering your most robust and intense expression of that gathered energy mm-hmm. that gets working on Mu. consolidated and expressed through that word of Mu that you yeah. put your whole mm-hmm. self and you in. kind of tone it when you express it in the context of the private meeting yeah and you for like, like folks listening right like koans are a practice and then there's a bunch of them and it's almost like a test or a riddle you get given. These are not the right words, I no, know. But like, no, sorry, that's not right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, wait, you give the context of koans. Koans are these super devoted teachers and students of the past gave a verbal, encapsulated their awakening in a verbal like a capsule of light because mm. they put it into words. And you can swallow that capsule of light to get a hit of the same experience and perspective that they had. And there's Each a process of, of working with the swallowing, but yeah. you work with it in a yeah. sort of digestive process of either repeating yeah. it or sitting with it or in There are different it. ways. Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm so yeah. glad I got that wrong. Thank you for that. Definition. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's a strange and unique and amazing and very difficult form of spiritual practice, but it's, it's amazing for those who are, have the affinity. And then you express it in the one-on-one meeting with the teacher. You, you show the light that you've swallowed in a way. Yeah. And every koan is different. They have different forms. But in most lineages, you do that in a very dynamic way. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that you're drawing on all your emotional energy and you're just putting it in a, a different valence. 
So, you know, anger and ferocity and anger and presence are so intimately related that when you, you know, anger is like this intensity, it can be boundary energy, it can be outwardly directed energy. But when you drop out the directionality from it, mm -hmm. let's put it this way, when you drop the object out of anger, you're left with f fierce presence. Hmm. And sometimes it's like hot, or it's, it's Absolutely. hard to stay in that presence, even without the object. Absolutely. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I can do it all the time. Yeah, it, it means, first of all, that you know how to drop the object, which means you get angry and you think it's about that someone. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, sometimes people are harmed. But a lot of times it's really, we're, we're just blaming somebody. In that moment, you have to drop the thought of she fucking did whatever. He did X, Y, Z. You have to drop that and just let that energy float in your body mind with no outlet. And then you just suffuse that with wakefulness and it becomes that wakefulness, but it becomes ferocious wakefulness. That's you when you see those Tibetan deities with flames and like fangs. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. Protectors. There. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. that's part of the territory. Yeah, and but when you say this, right, it feels close to bypassing in a way. Not not that you are saying that, but right that there can like maybe we think we're like oh I'm I'm working with my anger right I, I drop the object I'm not thinking about it now and look at I'm good like. It's such an important point. Yeah. How, how do you how do you hold that though, right? Like not <laughs> bypassing the person who is offended or hurt or angry or mm -hmm. all those parts inside. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my current thoughts about this is everybody spiritual bypasses. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you can read a book about and take a workshop and, and like decide and think you're not going to do like because... I don't bypass now. Look at that. I right, right, right. <laughs> It's, it's part of the process because the transcendent is a truth. There is, in, in the course of spiritual practice, we do come to touch an aspect of us that is just shining presence, free mm. of all confusion and reactivity. Oh, man, I feel you're saying something pretty nuanced here. Um, and I want, I want to see if I'm grokking it a bit. Like, okay. like, we all bypass in a way. I think you're also saying that, like, there is an aspect of our experience that is beyond that yeah. is is not defined yep and that that is available and we can touch that or please please go for yeah me. i don't yeah. want to say it, more words nicely said we can touch it and we do and in a sense it's the most true thing mm -hmm. and so then what we do is we start to identify with that yeah that and, yeah and the rest is seen as just the human mess yeah, and that can be these sort of um, traditions, right, of denying the body or denying kind of sexuality, right? That yeah. like, like just that supreme Godhead experience, whatever you want to call it, like that's the real deal. And then all of this is just messy details you don't need to deal with. They believe, my experience in these traditions is they believe if you fully realize that every, everything else will just resolve itself. Oh, there'll be no more kinks and no more issues as long yeah. as you're fully embedded within the divine or if you really sever the root of the ego and see its see its nature to the bottom, there'll be no more basis for there'll be no more basis for reactivity. What do you think or, about that? 
I think it's an interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> you still working on it? What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know exactly where I'm going. I want to talk about a practice in Dzogchen that I did. Oh yeah, go please. We still have time for the anger thing. Yeah, yeah. We got we got it's like four fifty five right now. So oh, okay, okay, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um the most potent thing for me was basically a practice that is awareness mm-hmm. plus catharsis. Mm, that's and this is a, a unifying thing you're saying. Please yeah. go, but I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Buddhists basically don't believe in catharsis. They don't. I've cried so much on a cushion. I guess I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean there's not release, but what's but what. I mean by that is if you do something outside of awareness, you deepen the tendency that you're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to go and like punch a pillow with rage and that you're going to get it out, what you may not be understanding is that the mechanism that is giving rise to that anger is still operating in your mind. It's not like there's this bucket that you can empty in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like this is expressed in kind of modern psychoanalytic thinking, thinking, right? The uh, insight does not necessarily breed change. That like, okay. like you know, you can you can understand it, but you're not getting to the root of it. You can like cry and let it out, but you haven't touched the yeah. the germinating point where the anger arises. Yeah. 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 Which in in the spiritual traditions is awareness shining through the patterns. Mm-hmm. in the mind and body that lead to those actions yeah and there's a zogchen practice or... there's a zogchen practice that well first of all it's a, this is an amazing practice basically what you do is you go out into the wilderness mm-hmm. you strip naked what the, i'm getting more excited as we go this is great and <laughs> kids don't try this at home you need you need guidance with this it's serious oh, stuff okay. um and there's you ritually give full expression to the whole range of emotion until you collapse from exhaustion. Mm. This sounds so shamanic or sort of not necessarily, but like it may have shamanic roots, like trance work in it almost. Yeah. Well, um, so they use the the mythic framework of like the six realms of existence. Mm -hmm. So you would embody the hell realm. Mm -hmm. So you're moving from sitting meditation in a space of, of a robust presence, mm-hmm. you get up and you move in and with your whole body, speech and mind, you're giving voice to the hell realm. You're giving expression as intensely as you can to the point that you have to collapse because you're so tired. Mm. You exhaust you, the hell realm. Well, here's the thing. Then you that energy is up right in your system. And then when you collapse, you fall down and you do what's called sky gazing and you mm. rest in essential pure, clear awareness. And then you and, move through these six realms kind of doing this practice. Yeah. Yeah. Which like the hungry ghost realm and all mm-hmm. the, the deva mm-hmm. realms. Yeah. What do you do in the human realm? Um, what did I do in the human realm? So it's improv. You, there, there's different ways they do it. Sometimes it's ritual actions you do and sometimes it's improv. Um, I don't remember the human realm. That's really interesting. I might have done um, the human realm is, con- is associated with excessive conceptuality. So you're thinking too much. You're worrying and thinking. 
sort of like a pacing kind of in circles yeah. quality. Uh-huh. It's a place of anxiety. Yeah. Wow. That explains so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in this practice, you, you basically come to experience um, emotions as a play of energy. Mm. Because the play and the actuality lose their distinction in the mm-hmm. space of awareness. And so your relationship to them changes. Yeah, I could say I could say more about that. Well, I realize yeah, I'm gonna, getting. I might no, be well, getting let me a ask a more. Too... Let me ground a bit, like because this was about anger and working with anger. Yeah. What did you find through this practice in the, tr- the transma- transformation or engagement with anger? Uh-huh. I found that um, first of all, external displays of anger. I had a judgment about them. I didn't know. Was like, there. like when you embodied one of these angry realms and kind of had to display it alone, you, you saw something in your reaction to it? <clears throat> no, in the midst of it, I was just kind of in the midst of it. Oh, that's great. After it, oh. I, saw, I, saw, I saw by its absence that I used to have a judgment that I, did, I wasn't conscious of around anger because when people who were, I would call angry before I would see them, I would be critical because mm-hmm. it was in my shadow. Mm-hmm. And then what had shifted was, oh, that's just what it is. It's just a display of energy. This is, I love this way you're describing sort of change here that like, if I'm hearing it right, mm-hmm. that you found yourself no longer critical of people displaying anger after this and then saw that there was criticality there through that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, so you didn't have to try it. It just fell away. And you're like, oh, there, there was something there to know about. <laughs> Yeah, right. Because I would encounter the same person. <laughs> and my relationship, I came back from this retreat. I was in Mexico. I did this retreat. It was a long retreat. I came back and the people who carried that, who I used to always have friction around, I, it was fine. Like some friction that was there was just not there. Yeah, this sounds like such a beautiful practice in a way, like kind of trying to find a mandala of emotional energy experience and then yeah. moving through all of it. Like we're going to have shadow in one of these realms or all Absolutely. of them. Yeah. And then you, it sounds like you just get to work through the, like the whole realm in a way. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. But you say, don't do this on your own. Well, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually motivated to present it in some way that people can do. Yeah. Um, the, the way I'm describing it, you really want to have somebody who's done it before who can help hold you because a lot of stuff can come up. And is that person there witnessing? Or are they like at a distance? Like what's they're on the, site, they're on, they're on site. site and you, yeah. and you come together for a teaching every day. And they give, they feed you instruction by instruction, but you have support. And so, you know, if you start to lose your shit, you can go like talk to the teacher. Yeah. And is there an integration process after this? Like um, after doing that dance? It's a fun thing in uh, Tantra and Dzogchen called Gana Chakra, which is basically you party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like with your open mind, you have a little bit of alcohol and mead and whatever else, because you're not supposed to do that normally, but you mm-hmm. express your freedom by like partying. Yeah. yeah. I used to, I used to practice at a Zen center where we got drunk after sessions. Well, and they were like, they Zen said it was, version. they said it was tradition. And I've like read that <laughs> in some places and I always interpret it like, just don't make a big deal out of this. Like you just get drunk. Don't think about it. Yeah. Like don't, don't try to hold on, like wash it away. <laughs> 
these now, things have their have their pluses and minuses but yeah. then i did a retreat with you all and it was like do wholesome action and then i did that <laughs> and i'm like oh that's a lot better <laughs> yeah right right so i don't right. get drunk after retreats now <laughs> yeah i don't recommend it no yeah yeah hmm. so i was gonna recommend like a way that you people can start mm -hmm. to integrate this and it's, yeah please well we we need to learn to be with ourselves Mm-hmm. We need to get a cognitive framework that emotion is not bad and it's arising does not mean I'm a bad person. Yeah. These are so essential. Easier said than done, right? I'm kind of just saying these things glibly, but this is not so simple. Well, I, I, I've found for myself and see with others, the more you explore these as options, take them on as possibilities or whatever the right words are, mm -hmm. you might see there's potential there. Like, oh yeah. Like maybe it's not bad and it, you can lean into the more difficult one then. Yeah. Like as, when you have some taste of like, oh, this, maybe this is trying to help me, this emotion. Yeah. This anger is trying to protect my boundary or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 So the ability to inhabit, to feel it, free of the judgment of it so it can fully arise. Mm -hmm. And then you have to let it arise and suffuse your consciousness mm. this willingness to let it express and be present and more yes, than that it's way. it's um it's not so easy to explain because yeah. what what you're doing is you have to one needs to let go of the narrative and the images that are that were were attached to the anger mm -hmm. or the sexuality for that matter Mm -hmm. or the joy any emotion works yeah so you're doing a little inner alchemy you know and the way you do this is you sit and once you find yourself in a stable presence you connect with a memory that pisses you off or arouses you or excites you mm -hmm. so you invite the the incident mm -hmm. or the image so there's an initial phase of activating through image or memory but yeah. then once the emotional vitality of it is expressed in the body you drop the image or the drop memory it. yep and that's that's part of what makes it challenging you have to let go of the associations mm -hmm. and then the energy if you don't have any problem with it being there can integrate into awareness mm -hmm. and it has each of these energies has a particular flavor way it flavors awareness um, anger is associated with mirror-like clarity in the tantric tradition. Mm. You know how when you're angry, you really see the flaws in people kind of clearly. Yeah, you can. Like, <laughs> no, I know everything that's wrong with my wife when I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the essence of that is real crisp, real mm. crisp discrimination. There's like this mirror-like uh, reflection. It's very accurate, direct, mm. sharp knowing. And that's part of what happens when uh, anger is transmuted. We get this crisp awareness mm. and all, all the emotions have their, their, their gift in that way. Yeah. So this process you're describing is similar to the type of work I do with folks, but it's different too. Like, um, I listen to the, the struggle, right? People usually therapy, they're like, bring their struggle in. Mm -hmm. And then I listen to it and then I try to activate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, cause people talk about from a distance. So it's like, how do we, turn this on and then so that it, the energy is in the body but the piece that for me is important is what what are you doing to that energy to not let it flow 
Yeah. Like we all have our I sort of means and activities we engage in to repress, project, push away, just like you know all the ways we have. Yeah. And like is for the in these practices is there working with the sort of the personal and how we uniquely you know like mess with the energy i don't have a good word right now yeah. our defensive structure <laughs> that's a that's a great phrase yeah um no and be. <laughs> the answer is no um no these traditions were were deconstructive they they looked at like human being as like um the elements you kind of break down experience into elements and mm -hmm. basically you're kind of saying this is just thought yeah right just um meeting things on the level of phenomena of of just energy ha is the way that they deal with that and i think what you're hitting on that's so important is that probably has never worked for everybody mm -hmm. yeah. the theories there but it's probably never worked for everybody yeah. right? because if someone has seen, for example, anger turn to violence, maybe they witnessed a murder or abuse. It's not so simple to say, just feel your anger. Yeah. Cause they know the destructive power of letting anger really arise. Yeah. And, and when you're talking, and I, I don't know Tibetan very well at all, like Tibetan Vajrayana practice, but you have this realm of deities, right? And, the wrathful deities you alluded to, and then the the kind of more equ equanimous deities or the loving deities, that they're these role models for these energies. And I, my sense is the practices are connected to those deities, that you actually have like embodiments of how to work with these energies. And I feel like that's something we're missing so much in our culture is like, yeah. what is healthy anger? Yeah. You know, so that you can kind of turn to that maybe when working with like, oh, anger, like, I shouldn't, like, oh, wait, like, that guy, he can do anger, maybe, like, I can stay with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, and maybe in those traditions, a skillful Lama would have given someone the right deity to integrate the energy that they saw was, mm -hmm. was difficult to inhabit. And there's usually stories embedded, right, of how these energies have been helpful culturally, like how that deity has intervened to support something or solve the problem. Yeah. 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 Oh. And this is, like, something that's kind of important to me is like um the lack of role models in the masculinity mm -hmm. you know i it often hurts me um personally and collectively like i i feel it in myself like i've similarly sought male figures you know i always feel a little bad i don't work with female teachers i'm like how much of that is my sexism and how much is that is like i didn't have a dad <laughs> like mm -hmm. i really need some male energy and mm -hmm. approval mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and i even had like a like a therapeutic mushroom journey a little while ago and was just feeling this like i was like searching for a male role model in that space mm. just and like going back through even the recent spiritual history of like how many men have done some pretty fucked up shit yeah you know even my, my one of my closer teachers ended up kind of uh falling to sexual misconduct so it's mm -hmm. like just something that i sit with a lot mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm wondering i don't have a question here i'm just more naming what seems like a problem yeah. you know this like lack of role models or lack of people embodying masculinity in a way that is generative is uh 
doesn't seem fucked up. And I'm wondering if you can just speak for yourself. You know, I, well, I'll share something really personal. When I, when I look at the world and the crisis we're faced with, something that I return to again and again is the deepest issue we have is misogyny. Mm-hmm. The deepest issue we have is men's violent, aggressive, and disrespectful tendencies towards women. Yeah. I think towards, that, towards all life in a way. Towards like, all life. Women, it's, though, too. I don't want to negate what you're saying. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I guess it's tying back to anger, too. I feel like that male aggression is actually the root of racism. It's more fundamental than the construct of whiteness, for example. It's just this tendency to, to dominate and not be in relationship with one's own emotions and therefore no relationship with the other's humanity. Mm. Yeah, like that this tendency of maleness to be cut off from our emotions may serve kind of the plethora of world problems we're seeing. That you like if we, you yes. cannot be in touch with your emotions and oppress people. Yeah. I interviewed a Reiki another day and he said the exact same thing that you just said. You know, you can't be in touch with your emotions and keep a child in a cage. Yeah. 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 So Yeah. Yeah, when I was my community was going through processing the sort of uh misconduct by our teacher mm-hmm. I, I was really struggling with zen you know like what's wrong with zen because there's a lot of accounts of sort of misconduct in zen and the circle was holding that too like is zen broken should we even be doing this you know mm-hmm. and i was like trying to facilitate some of the group process yeah and in that sort of more of a living koan right like my own koan of masculinity there of like what's going on here it was like oh man no the problem is men it's not zen mm-hmm. yeah you know problem right that's dualistic but like what you're saying there's something here that is it's hard to even look at Mm -hmm. yeah How, how do you work with that like being a man and participating within maleness and then seeing maleness as maybe one of the roots of so much of what's plaguing kind of environment and culture right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of toxic maleness we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I have to own up to is I often think I'm in a different category. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I alluded to earlier, right? Yeah. Like, I yeah. thought I was different. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, there's that stereotypical man. Yeah, the, the, the man, the man. <laughs> he's, he's interrupting his woman. He's got a big truck because he's got some kind of insecurity. He, you know, I got like my story is like, and I'm kind of conscious. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you've done your work. You don't have right. to really be concerned about this. No, we get my girlfriend on here. She'll tell you about my work. <laughs> <laughs> like what really happened this morning. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, before we had this, interview planned i had this like concern of i don't know what it means to be a man how can i even talk to this i mean i think that's something we're touching on right like yeah there's not a lot there's not a lot of representation right now that i mean there's some i don't want to cut off the men in the world that are trying and embodying their emotions and trying Mm -hmm. to you know do whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing to not be so shitty but Mm -hmm. how much do we need this identity marker though yeah the male the man how much, yeah, how much, why is this, why is it necessary? Yeah. I, I mean, it is a position of privilege that has to be acknowledged, mm-hmm. but I don't think of my manness. You know, even if I see my penis, I'm like, oh, there's a penis, but I'm not like thinking I'm, that's, I have that because I'm a man or 
But from a critical theory perspective, right, that, that is the definition of privilege at times to not need to contemplate the identity. Exactly. Yes. I, I want to own that. Yeah. Yeah. You're owning that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the, this inside the social context, it, it can't be in a mature way. You can't not wrestle with this identity of what it means to have the position of being male or identifying as male. Yeah. But, um, I talked about this with my partner and she says she doesn't think about being a woman unless she's around other men. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have a concept. Like woman is not an identity that, that she consciously relates to. And I feel the same about for myself most of the time. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me of a dream I had once where I was sitting on like a high school bleachers, you know, those like cement block sort of arena bleachers. Uh-huh. And I was sitting with, um i thought it was a woman no I, at first i thought it was a man right mm -hmm. and i was kind of cold and distant mm -hmm. which i can be around men and then i, I realized that it, it, they were in a dress and i'm like oh it's a woman and then i kind of i uh became looser in a way or maybe a little more flirtatious <laughs> and then they opened their legs and there was a penis <laughs> and i was like oh they're trans and then i was something else then too <laughs> like it was a new <laughs> Like, oh, I don't have to be either of these sort of cold, aloof, or like flirtatious, please desire me. It was mm -hmm. something more weird and crooked that I got to make up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just thinking of the way that like we co-create these positionalities, right? Like maybe we're not thinking about maleness when we're together, but then women, uh, women were in the circle, we might relate to that and like how it's based on the polarity that we have to work with this. I don't know if that's quite what you're saying. Yeah, but. yeah. We live in the world of, of duality, of opposites, and they co-arise and they create each other and yeah. we swim in that. And I mean, I, I guess I think about where what we've been calling masculine qualities are weak in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's my responsibility to embody this, for example, in the relationship. I don't necessarily think of that. I think like, where am I not mature as a human being? and Where do I need to... To, mm. to develop and sometimes those are in the category of what we call masculine and sometimes they're in the category of what we call feminine i love that break like yeah like it's not this sort of essentializing that there's like all masculine all feminine that can kind of sometimes happen in like spiritual and gross circles especially if there's like an archetypal element in it yeah but it's more like what do i need to work on and sometimes it has these qualities to it yeah 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 huh and and maybe that implies there's some reflection on the conditioning or the the cultural container of why that's difficult to work with or be with absolutely yeah 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 and that's when the hidden socializing becomes revealed yeah yeah hmm. yeah i, I kind of like that there's like a full circleness here in a way that like we i started asking you like, are there other words for this? And you're like, I don't think there's other words. And then you're like, I don't even think about being masculine. <laughs> <laughs> like, but both these maybe are true. The, like we live in a world where masculine and feminine are reified and sort of like, I'm, I'm about to be a dad. And Congrats. A, yeah, thank you. Wow. My wife's maybe entering the second trimester. I, I don't know time that well, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm like scared of like, it's going to be a boy and like everyone making it a boy 
you know, like just from the very beginning, like, oh boy, and like, here's mm. it, all the toys, and everything. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna suck. <laughs> why? Why? I don't understand. I just like, uh, wanting to give them some of that room for that fluidity. Ah. To, to not have that box kind of put on so strongly from the beginning mm -hmm. that they can yeah. explore earlier their own playfulness around maleness, not maleness and all of that. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that was my fear of, yeah. Yeah. So I lost my thread there, but <laughs> okay. Congratulations. It's interesting. Yeah. It's thank interesting you. Interesting thread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything for you here? Well, I, one thing I'd add is I, part of the reason, there's a number of reasons I think that I don't think I have a strong identity as a man. And one of them is I didn't have a man raise me and tell me what it meant. Mm. And I think, yeah. I don't know if the, how true this is for everybody or generation, generationally, but I think a lot of men got a narrative from the men in their family that said, this is what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. Man up, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. or and, and a, that's a explicit right the man up don't do that but then there's the implicit messaging of this exactly. is what the my father treated my mom and my father yes. moves through space yeah yeah imprinted yeah. explicitly and, and and implicitly and i for better or worse that i didn't get that mm -hmm. yeah and um you know those narratives have an effect yeah yeah so in some ways there may be benefit for you there of some freedom and some ways an absence maybe to yeah totally yeah i even leaving remember the, oh no please go i was gonna say leaving the one of the things about leaving the monastery and now making a living for myself is having to embody agency more because the monastery is so communal mm -hmm. and the the individual effort is so de-emphasized mm -hmm. because it's like a living network and so i feel like life is giving me an opportunity to develop those things yeah that previously hadn't worked on so much what, what are you seeing as you sort of take on more of the the network yourself right running your own life and not mm -hmm. having that communal support like how is that shaping this for you it, it feels good to bring into balance what was out of balance yeah and so like reclaiming more agency and more responsibility for my own life and my own problems it something in there is is empowering and energizing and I'm I'm happier now. Was that part of the call for you in a way to leave the monastery to reclaim some of this? Or? I think so. It wasn't conscious, but now I can I can see it yeah. because it was so easy to lean into the role and the, the teachers and that everything was basically taken care of. Mm -hmm. That I had I've had to face more uncertainty and more ambiguity now, mm -hmm. and I think that's been healthy. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Like, uh, like you get training and facing it, and then you stepped away from that to like live it a bit more. It sounds. Yeah. 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 Um, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate kind of getting to riff with you a second time. Likewise. Is, anything kind of you want to share that you're offering right now? Like, what's going on in Jogan's world where people can connect? Oh, sure. Well, um, I lead retreats through Zen Community of Oregon pretty mm -hmm. regularly. And they're online these days, right? So people can kind of they're connect online. from those all over. Yeah, yeah. So by the time this gets up, the next one that'll be on the horizon is in June. I'm doing a retreat called No Hindrance. Hmm. And through parts work, which we touched on a little bit, working with obstacles to transformation. 
Mm. So we have these aspirations to change in these different ways or to practice this or that. And what gets in the way of that? Why does that get derailed? Mm. And so we want to really understand and embody in a direct way those forces. Yeah, that sounds so beautiful. Yeah, I'm interested in, you know, how we can work with this stuff. So yeah. that's in June through Zen Community of Oregon. And then I do um, one-on-one work in everything we talked about. Yeah. The, the, the meditation <laughs> stuff, the part stuff, the emotional stuff, the um, all of that. And um, love working with people like that. So you can find out more about that at um, solisluna.org. And I'll put a link to that for folks. Thanks. Uh, yeah. And you, you got, you're doing a movement thing too a bit, right? Oh, yes. That's yeah. actually the dearest thing to my heart. It's called Universe Somatic. Mm-hmm. Which and is the a, most beautiful, one of the most beautiful kind of retreat or workshop names, I think. So. Yeah, thanks. And you came to it once. Yeah, I did. A, I did a day long once. I really yeah. loved it. It was cool. It was cool for me because I've always been interested in Dzogchen too. So I got to yeah. taste Dzogchen and whatever else you added to the mix. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> It's hard to describe, but it's a practice of, of meditation and movement combined. And in the movement, we're evoking energies mm-hmm. and loosening identity and playing. And then we bring that back into the sitting because they alternate. Yeah, it reminds me of the practice you described earlier, not the same, right? But like when I did it, you would we would sit for 20 minutes and then you would offer a, a move, like a, an energy to move, whether that was sort of... Uh, divine light or like the fluidity of water i don't remember the exact yeah. uh-huh. captures but and yeah. then you move that and then you sit and then those energies move still in you as you're sitting and you could that's kind of the be, hope yeah 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 so, yeah that's a good description i'm impressed i'm gonna hire you <laughs> <laughs> you need some copywriting Let i me need know. a copywriter yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i do that monday nights mm-hmm. and that's through zoom right now that's through zoom uh-huh Yep. Yeah. And do you yep. find that works well? Kind of people in there? Surprisingly well. I was so surprised. I just thought, can this really work in this way? For some people, it's better because they're less self-conscious. Mm-hmm. You're not in the group. A lot of people aren't comfortable moving their body yeah. other than like, you know, the normal range. Yeah. We <laughs> sitting, standing, walking, maybe running sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people are at home. And, yeah. you know, I don't, they don't, I don't ask them to be in front of their computer. So when they move, they're in their privacy of their home. And I'm hearing that it's easier for some people. Like they can touch in deeper in a way to those energies. Cause they're not sort of having to filter through the social lens. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so on. much. It was a great conversation. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you so much, Jogan. Thank Likewise. you. Likewise. I feel yeah. like I learned a lot from you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, really hope there was some threads of importance there for you. I know for me, um, just really appreciated getting to talk to Jogan about masculinity. And me and Jogan overlap in a lot of ways in kind of our histories, both personally with losses of father in different ways and kind of our religious spiritual backgrounds. And then we have a lot of difference too. So it was just fun to kind of hang out and to see where we overlapped and, you know, where we were different too. So yeah, I do hope things are well. I hope there's some ease and, you know, joy is readily available to you when you look for it. Be well. Thank you.